invite you to take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 16. Again, I'll uh, just quickly announce that if you uh, came in maybe after we made the first announcements, we're going to observe communion. If you uh, don't have a prepackaged, uh, if you brought your own props to you, but if you don't have uh, your, your own uh, your prepackaged uh, wafer juice, we have those that are outside. No one will think you're weird if you stand up and walk out. I just think that I made you mad, and I usually do that to someone at least once a week. So uh, they're on the tables that are outside, or if you're up at the balcony, a couple of tables up there. Be sure you grab that. We'll, we will uh, use this a little bit later, but just kind of as you find Leviticus 16, because it's so rare that someone preaches from the book of Leviticus. It may take you a minute to get there. Uh, but when we get to that part, just remember this is a, uh, this is a, a quite a, a little contraption that you want to be careful with. It, it, the, the top opens first for the wafer, and then we'll open the juice. All right? Don't slap open the juice, because then you get a stain on your shirt. You send us a bill for the dry cleaning, and we've got to pay for these tiles to get replaced. So uh, take note of that. We'll get to that as we come to uh, that, that part of our service. Leviticus chapter 16, we're going to look at one chapter in the book, uh, book of Leviticus. It is uh, an important chapter. In fact, the entire book of Leviticus centers around chapter 16. Everything in the book either leads up to it or it flows down from it. And Leviticus chapter 16 reveals God's instructions to the Jewish people about a very important day. In fact, probably the most important day in the Jewish year. The day is Yom Kippur. In fact, I, I didn't realize until this week that it is scheduled to occur next Saturday evening or next Sunday evening into Monday. You say, Pastor, why didn't you wait a week? We're not Jewish. That's why. Uh, but it is scheduled to occur. They'll celebrate that to some degree uh, next week, our Jewish friends will, but it is uh, the, the most important day. We, we may know that day better as the Day of Atonement. It literally means the Day of the Covering. That's why I've titled the message this morning, Take Cover. For uh, maybe, a week, maybe a week late for our culture and context with the Sally, but uh, we're talking not a physically taking cover or protection, but spiritually taking cover. It's known as the day of the covering. Now, here's why this is uh, important for us. You may wonder how is this going to get us to Jesus, and I promise you we will get there to Jesus as we move through our time of study today. But understand that the book of, the, the, the book of Vickers, the whole book deals with a problem that every single person here has faced at some point in your life. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, I'm asking hypothetically because some of you wouldn't raise your hand, but you should anyway. All of us should raise our hand to this question. How many of you have done something and then felt guilty about what you did? I mean, you, you did some stupid something, you said something dumb, you, you did something that wasn't smart, and then you felt guilty at some point, whether immediately or, or sometime thereafter, of what you have done. See, that guilt will then lead to shame. And when you have shame, you begin to ask questions about your life like, what kind of person am I if I could do fill in the blank? Or you ask questions related to shame like, what's going to happen if people learn about what I have done? 
And that guilt leads to shame, and then that guilt and shame leads to a fear of judgment. And you begin to understand, you begin to to realize that you're going to have to face consequences for the actions that you have taken. And when you realize that you have to face consequences, you then begin to wonder, okay, I need some kind of rescue. I need some kind of redemption. I need some kind of atonement to help me with this guilt, to help me with this shame. So if you're guilty, which we all are, what can be done about it? That's what Leviticus and for us. Leviticus chapter 16, let's look at the first few verses, verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Now notice that. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that's on the ark so that he may not die. Now, they're talking about the temple. Now, there were two rooms in that temple. In fact, there's going to be a, a, a slide for you, a picture of it upon the screen, I think. And uh, those, those two rooms that are in that temple, that tabernacle, they are the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. That's like it up there. Uh, there you go, right there. A uh, little late. Well, it takes a little while to get there. Uh, here in the tabernacle, you have the holy place. That's little. Uh, the, the, the priest is there in the holy place, and then there's that veil. And beyond that veil, there is a place that's called the holy of holies. In that place, the holy of holies. That's where Indiana Jones was wanting to get to. You remember when he's looking? Now, some of you are like, "Ah, oh, now I know what he's talking about." Uh, when he's looking for the ark of the covenant, beyond that veil, in this place, the holy of holies. There was an Ark of the Covenant, and on that Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And when the priest would make a sacrifice, he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. That mercy seat wasn't a seat in the sense that it was a chair, but rather in the Old Testament, that mercy seat was the place where God's presence would rest. On top of that mercy seat stood two cherubim which uh, faced each other. They, They stood like guards barring entry to the presence of God, very similar to the angel that God stationed outside of Eden with the flaming sword when he kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And this holy of holies, where this home of the Ark of the Covenant, it was closed off, you see, by that veil. That veil was four inches thick. It was woven of 72 two blue, purple, and red cords, each having 24 strands. That veil was called the parakeet. And the parakeet, not the cheap, cheap, cheap bird, not that. Uh, you could think maybe parakeet if we're southern, the parakeet. And that word, the Hebrew, the, the, the parakeet, it literally means shut off. Because that veil in the tabernacle literally shut off the presence of God from everyone. There was only one person who could go beyond that veil, 
And it wasn't the priest, it was the high priest. And he could only go beyond that veil one day, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day that's described for us in Leviticus chapter 16. If anyone other than the high priest went beyond that veil, dead. If anyone, including the high priest, went beyond that veil that was not on the day of atonement, dead. In fact, they would tie bells around part of the uh, garment of the priest was bells because they knew as long as they could hear the bells ringing, he was alive. But if the bell stopped ringing, he had died. They had a rope attached to the belt so they could pull him out in case he did something he should not do while it was beyond that veil. It separated man from God. Now, Leviticus 16, and for time's sake, I'm not going to, to read all of it. It's a, it's a lengthy chapter, but let me give you a, a summary that's very important of what the high priest would do in the process of entering this holy of holies. The week beforehand, this high priest would make preparations. He would go into isolation a solid week beforehand. He, he would have food delivered to him because they did not want this high priest to touch anything unclean or to eat anything unclean. Food was brought to him. He would wash his entire body. He would prepare himself physically. He would prepare his heart spiritually. The night before the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement Eve, I guess we could say. The high priest would stay up all night. How many of you stayed up all night, one, at least one night this week, right? Okay, well, the high priest, he stayed up all night the day before the Day of Atonement, praying and reading Scripture to, to satisfy uh, the commands of God and to purify his soul. When he got up on the Day of Atonement, he woke up the morning of Yom Kippur. When he woke up, he would take a bath, and he would be dressed in a clean, unstained, perfectly uh, white linen, and he prepares to make a sacrifice. And what's interesting is that this high priest would go beyond that veil on that day, not once, not twice, but three times, actually. He would go beyond it the first time, and he would sacrifice an animal and sprinkle the blood on that mercy seat to pay the penalty for his own sins. He would then come out, take a bath, put on a brand new set of white linen, go back in, make another sacrifice for the sins of the priest because guess what? Preachers sin too, you know that? If you don't ask Mandy, she knows it very well. So he made sacrifice for the, the fellow priest and he would come back out again. He would take another bath. He would receive a new white linen outfit to wear, and in he would go beyond that veil the third and final time, and he would make a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. What's interesting about what happens on the Day of Atonement is that part of that ritual included the choosing of two goats. One goat was sacrificed, the other goat was let free. We have a term we use in our vernacular that's based upon that, the scapegoat. Look at what our text tells us in chapter 16, verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat 
And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the life goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. You say, Pastor, what are you, why are you talking about that today? This is 2020. Hang with me. When we get to Jesus, this is going to blow your mind when we get to how this shows us Jesus. And off the scapegoat would go. Now, what could this bizarre day, what does this bizarre, unique chapter, what does this event teach us about our lives today? I want to give you three things. Number one is this, the Day of Atonement. It points to our sin and separation from God. The fact that there had to be a Day of Atonement points to the fact that we are sinners who are separated from God. This event, this day teaches me that my sin is much worse than I ever imagined it could be. And you get this sense from the book of Leviticus over and over again that that sin that we have creates a, a gulf, a great gulf exists between us and God. Just like that veil shut off access to the Holy of Holies where God dwelt, so too does our sin separate us from God. We need someone to tear the veil for us because our sin separates us from God. This, the need for this great sacrifice Sacrifice teaches us that we are filled with sin. That the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do, <clears throat> the motive behind why we do what we do. In fact, there are some things that when we sin, and we're not even aware that we sin. Le Leviticus has a category, back in chapter 5 of Leviticus, there's a category for unknown sins, things that people would do that were sinful they don't even know about, or things that we fail to do. Leviticus shows us that our sin is so much worse and much more pervasive than we could have ever imagined. The Apostle Paul will, will develop this theme of our sinfulness in the book of Romans where he teaches us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard to which we strive is God's glory and we all have fallen short. We don't meet the standard. And this day of atonement in Leviticus 16 is a reminder to us of our sin and our separation from God. But here's number two. The day of atonement points us to the grace that is available from God. Yes, we have sinned more than we realize. But this day of atonement points us to God's grace that's available. Let's think about those two goats. God used those two goats to illustrate two different things that God was going to do with our sin. Okay, one goat was slaughtered for sin. And that goat that was slaughtered for sin, that shows us that it is possible for the price of sin to be paid. 
That goat, when that, when that high priest in Leviticus 16, it was Aaron, when he would lay his hands on that goat and symbolically place the sin to the people and then slit the throat of that goat and let it bleed out and die, that was a sacrifice, that was symbolic, that was designed to teach us something that theologians call justification. That there is no more claim against us. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in fact, as we're moving through First John, if, if you have a wreck and it's your fault, you run into someone, you cause damage to that person, and your insurance pays the claim that's against you, you are then justified from that claim. There's no more claim that you have to pay. The debt has been paid. So that first goat that was slaughtered for sin, that shows us that it's possible to have our sin paid by the grace of Jesus. That second goat, that scapegoat, the one that they would send out into the, don't miss this, send out to the wilderness, it teaches us the concept of cleansing. God not only pays for our sins, he then removes our sins, and just like that goat had the sin symbolically placed on it, and then boom, go out, never to see it again. So when God forgives us our sins, are cast as far as the east is from the west. The first goat showed us that we are forgiven on the basis of a substitute. The second goat shows us that our sins are forgiven and removed from us. Yes, our sin is great, but I've got some wonderful news for you today, this morning. God's grace is greater. Paul will say in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Oh, we don't minimize our sin. We recognize we are sinners from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. As J.R. Union would say, tip to tail, we're sinners. But the grace of God is greater still. See, that's what atonement means. At one meant. Atonement on that day, on this day, this day of atonement, God made people, made it possible for man to be one with him because he satisfied the penalty of sin forever and he put it away forever. So yes, this day of atonement points to our sin and our separation from God. And yes, this day of atonement points to the grace that's available from God, but don't even put number three up there yet, if it's not up there yet. Don't, don't, don't put it up there yet, okay? You guys tell me, you've listened to me for a little while, what you think point three is going to be. Ultimately, and I'll give you a hint, the answer rhymes with Weezus. <laughs> ultimately, Jesus. ultimately, where do you think the day of appointment points? Okay, six people have listened. Third, the day of atonement points us to the work of Jesus. Oh, friends, do you not see the fingerprints of Jesus all through Leviticus 16, all through this sacrifice? In fact, when you read through the last week of Jesus' life, you'll notice that Jesus spends the last week of his life staging his own day of atonement. Just like the high priest 
spent the week prior to sacrifice preparing, so too Jesus began to prepare for his sacrifice a week beforehand. We call it Passion Week. And Jesus embraced the night before his death. He embraced prayer just like that high priest the night before the Day of Atonement would spend all night in prayer. That's just what Jesus did before the night of his crucifixion. But Jesus was not clothed in nice, clean linen like that Jewish high priest. Instead, he was stripped of the only garment that he had. Oh, but watch this. When when Jesus goes to the cross and as he's dying on the cross, he cries out, It is finished. That phrase in the Arabic and in the Aramaic and the Greek, when you see it show up in other places, it was oftentimes found on what we would think of as, as receipts that Romans would carry around. And that phrase literally means the price has been paid. It is paid. In Christ, there is no more claim against our sin. We are now justified. That curtain that separated us from God, that was a symbol of his flesh. And that flesh was torn so that we could enter the presence of God. In fact, when you go back and read (coughs) the crucifixion story, you'll find that when Jesus breathed his last breath, the earth began to shake, and guess what the curtain of that temple did? It tore in two from top to bottom. It was a symbol to us. See, take out your, your, your bread, your juice, your cup, and go ahead and, and open that top layer to where you have just the, the wafer, and hold that wafer in your hand. If you're at home, whatever bread cracker you have, hold that in your hand. Paul develops the the Lord's Supper communion for us to to teach us what Jesus was doing. That as he went to the cross, as he hung upon the cross, that death was his body and the bread symbolizes his body that was broken and torn and beaten. This body of Jesus was the veil that had to be destroyed. We needed someone to destroy the veil, and Jesus destroyed the veil by allowing himself to be killed. And so as we think about the body of Jesus, the apostle Paul said that every time you have communion, every time you come to this place where you observe communion, that this is to remind you of that veil the body of Jesus broken for you. But it wasn't just the body of Jesus that was broken. Remember we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, that that mercy seat? And on that mercy seat, the priest would sprinkle the blood. That blood was sprinkled by Jesus. Jesus was the mercy seat. And the blood was sprinkled so we could find forgiveness of sin. Carefully you take the little tab and just carefully pull back to where you have access to the juice. Because as we observe communion, the fruit of the vine, the juice is symbolic to us of the blood of Jesus. And 
when Jesus had communion, when he had the last supper with his disciples, and when Paul would talk about what that would symbolize, the fruit of this vine symbolized the blood of Jesus. That it was his body that was broken, but at the cross, the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus so what was sprinkled so that when we observe communion, we recognize his body was broken for us, and we recognize that his blood was spilled for us. And as often as you eat that bread, as often as you drink that cup, you show the Lord's death until it comes. But watch what happens. Remember the mercy seat had the two cherubim that were on the side? When Jesus dies, he's buried. Some disciples come to the tomb. They go in and they enter the empty tomb of Jesus. <clears throat> and guess what? There were two angels at that tomb. One at the foot, at the head of the grave. One at the foot of the grave. Just like those cherubim at the sides of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was recreated in the death of Jesus. The slain body of Jesus is now our mercy seat where we find forgiveness forgiveness of sins because of his blood. Leviticus 16 tells us that when Aaron was done with the atonement ceremony, he took off his linen. When Peter and John came to the tomb, all they found was linen. The sacrifice, the atonement had been completed. Jesus himself was both the lamb that was slain. He was also the scapegoat who took our sins. When he was put into the tomb, our sins were with him when he came out of the tomb our sins stayed buried so that now he removes them as far as the east is from the west Leviticus is a picture of the gospel and the gospel is simply this Jesus in my place Jesus did not just merely die for you he died instead of you. He took my sin and my sorrow, and he made it his very own. You see, people read Leviticus like it's a book of a bunch of rules that we have to follow. Leviticus was not written to tell you what you need to do. Leviticus was written to show you everything Jesus would do for you. But let me try to put a somewhat quick bow on this and wrap it up. See, there's a popular notion today that it doesn't matter what particular way that you try to get to God as long as you're sincere. Notice how our text, when we read the first few verses, it mentioned Aaron's sons. Aaron had two sons. This happens back in, Le in Leviticus chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu. And those two sons, they offered an unauthorized, a non-commanded sacrifice. And the result was that the fire that was built to consume the sacrifice actually consumed them. Nadab and Abihu were sincere, yet God struck them dead because they did not approach God the way it was prescribed for them to approach God. Leviticus 16 reminds us there is one way to come to God. And you don't get to come on your terms. If you're going to come to God, you've got to come to God on 
His terms. You say, Pastor, I want that kind of atonement. Look at verses 29 and 30. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord for all your sins. He said, on this day you shall do no work. That's called a Sabbath. And what do you do on the Sabbath? Nothing. You consciously do nothing. And what God's telling them is, you want this atonement? There's nothing that you can do to receive it. You have to do no work. It's been done for you. The way that you receive the work of the atonement was by doing nothing and resting in what God had already done for you. My friends, the greatest tragedy that the world will ever know is that people die in their sins having not yet to receive a Savior who died for those sins. You do not go to hell because you are, you are too guilty. You don't go to hell because you're too bad. If that were the only qualification, we're wasting our time because we're all guilty. We're all bad. You go to hell simply because you would not receive the redemption, the atonement, the salvation that Jesus is offering. He's offering it to you today. Have you received it? Then live your life in remembrance of him. Show forth his death. We did that by communion, but show forth his death in your life. If you haven't received it, will you receive that salvation today? Jesus is simply a prayer away. During this time when we are not having a traditional invitation or to come down the aisle invitation, we still offer an invitation for anyone who's here, anyone who's watching, to take the next step in their relationship with Christ. If today you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to make Him Lord and Savior of your life, cry out to Him in prayer. Let us know that you've cried out to Him in prayer. Let us know that you received that salvation. If there's another step you need to take, let us know what that step is. We want to come alongside you and equip you to take every step that God's called you to take in your walk with Him. There's a yellow card in your pew that you can fill that card out and let us know what step that is. You can do that as well online to let us know what your next step is and we'll follow up with you and help you take those next steps as you seek to follow Jesus. As we prepare to dismiss and end our time of worship today before our benediction, I remind you that uh, this Wednesday again, uh, Lord willing, we will experience uh, the relaunch of our midweek service. So I hope that you'll come and take part in that and participate in the events that are relevant uh, to you. 
and how you can be uh, blessed and receive a blessing from those ministries. Uh, also, remember to continue to pray for our friends and family who are, are going through difficulties with the storm. Uh, reach out to your neighbor, check on your neighbor, be Jesus to someone. Uh, be the hands and feet of Christ this week. It, it doesn't take much just to, to go in to show some compassion. It's what we're called to do to show forth the Lord's death until he returns again. To our guests again, we're happy you were here. If you are our guest or if you have made a decision, when you leave here today, drop that gray card, that's our connect card, or that yellow card, the next step card, drop that in the, the bins that are placed out here as you leave today. If, you are, if uh, you're a member and you brought your offering today, you can place your offering in those as well. I pray you have a wonderful afternoon. I'll be over at uh, the Next Step desk for a few minutes. I'd love the chance to meet our guests there. At this time, we'll have our benediction and we'll be dismissed.